This is the Robert Lewis Sermons Podcast, a collection of sermons from Dr. Lewis's time as a teaching pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. The following message is one of Robert's original messages to men on manhood, found here under the series heading, Authentic Manhood. We hope you grow in your faith and love Jesus more as you learn through these teachings. I want to tell you a story about a guy who was driving through Mississippi. And as he was driving through Mississippi, he was passing a sign that said, Talking Dog for Sale. And as he passed by, he thought, that can't be true. So he turned around and drove back and pulled in, and there was this farmer sitting out on the porch, and he said, see, you got a talking dog for sale. And he said, that's right, he's back there in the back. He said, you're kidding me. He said, well, go back and see. So he goes back, and there's this big dog laying down in the backyard, and the guy walks up to it and says, can you talk? dog looks up and says, well, as a matter of fact, I can. <laughs> he said, that's amazing. He said, yeah. He said, when I was a puppy, I realized I could talk. And when my master found out, he called the CIA. And the CIA came and took me and used me for undercover surveillance because at the time they didn't have electronic espionage. And I did that for a long time. But as I got older, I got a little burned out. So they moved me over into uh, uh, airports for uh, drug coverage, did that, finally retired, met the dog of my dream, got married, had puppies, finally retired, now here on the farm. Guy backed up and went, unbelievable. He ran back around to the farmer and said, how much do you want for your talking dog? Farmer said, $10. The guy said, $10? Why so cheap? And the farmer said, because that dog's a liar. He never did any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, last week I did a lot of talking, but one thing I want to promise you, I didn't do any lying. What I gave you last week was the absolute truth. In fact, I thought we'd start this morning by just going back for just a moment and summing up last week with, with three reminders. You might pull out your outlines there, three reminders from our opening session together. Here's the first one probably the most important one, and it's this. The paradox principle is the key to success at work and at home. Now, do you remember the paradox principle? We summed it up in one statement, die to live. It's where you humble yourself to learn something new outside of yourself because you really don't get it in life. But you finally figure out what you need to do, and then you die a little to yourself to do it. And then you're surprised on the back end because in the sting of that little death, you suddenly realize that by dying a little to yourself, it's delivered more life than you ever imagined back to you. It surprises you. It's a paradox. It gives you life back. We talked about that the uninitiated man into the paradox principle, when he hears the term die to live, all he hears is the word die. And because of that, he resists that principle because he believes that manhood, real manhood, in an uninitiated way, is getting your way. And that's how he intends to live his life. Unfortunately, that doesn't bring him life. He discovers over time that brings him a lot of pain. On the other hand, we talked about last week that the initiated man, the man who finally gets it, who understands this paradox principle, 
He's the man who's learned that death to self is a small price to pay for the life and the success that that temporary death then pays back to him. That's why when the initiated man hears die to live, he hears live way more than he hears the word die. The paradox principle. Remember? It's the key to working at home. Secondly, a second reminder, beware of what I call the great nullifier, the great nullifier. You know, last week I looked in these two mirrors and we, we recited the little fairy tale, mirror, mirror on the wall. How am I doing? Am I doing any good at all? And we ask it at home and we ask it at work. And if the mirrors speak back to us and say, yeah, you're doing pretty good. A man will feel a deep sense of satisfaction over his life. He feels like he's really fulfilling himself as a man. On the other hand, if these mirrors frown on his life, look down on him, he feels a deep sense of loss and pain. But what if, what if as he approaches these two mirrors, he's winning at work, but he's losing at home? Or what if he's winning at home and losing at work? In other words, he's one for two. What happens then? My experience with men, when this is the case, is that the pain and failure of the one, listen, the pain and failure of the one will always nullify the joy and satisfaction of the other. Everybody feel that? It's like the point guard who hits the winning shot at the buzzer only to discover that he was called for a charging foul that nullifies what otherwise would have been a heroic moment for him. Beware of the great nullifier, which leads us to our last reminder. True happiness for a man is winning in both. <laughs> One of two won't do. Always remember that. One of two won't do. For every man, you must win in both. And that goes back, by the way, all the way to the beginning of time. I love the, the beginning of humanity in the story of Genesis, the story of the first man, Adam. Adam was given three assignments by God to fulfill his life, to bring him true happiness. And if you go back and read the story, you'll see in these three assignments what this year is all about. Here's what Adam was given, told to do. Three responsibilities that ultimately would become three life-giving moments. He was told that he had a work to do. Adam looked in his mirror of work every day. He was told he had a woman to love. He had his mirror of home. And then he was told that he had a will to obey, God's will, which even in Genesis can be simmered down to this phrase, die to live. God's will was die to live, even for Adam. But God gave him that will in order that he, the first man, might succeed in his masculinity. And what is success in masculinity? True happiness in masculinity is to succeed well, not perfectly, but well, at work and at home. One of two won't do. For a man to truly be happy, 
He's got to succeed in both. Now those are the reminders from last week. Now here in session two, we want to turn our attention <laughs> to the mysterious world of women. And it's a mysterious world, isn't it, guys? What is it that men need to know about women? You know, oftentimes men get frustrated at this point. I remember years ago I uh, saw the musical My Fair Lady starring Rex Harrison. And in it, there's this moment where Harrison turns to his butler. His butler was named Pickering. And he asks a question that many men have asked in times past. He says, Pickering, why can't a woman be more like a man? And then he sings this song to Pickering. Would you be slighted if I didn't speak to you for hours? Would you be livid if I had a drink or two? Would you be wounded if I never sent you flowers? And Pickering says, of course not. And then Harrison says, then why can't a woman be like you? If I were hours late for dinner, would you bellow? If I forgot your silly birthday, would you fuss? Would you complain if I took out another fellow? Pickering says, never. Then why can't a woman be like us? Men have always been frustrated when they've entered into the mysterious world of women. Because, guys, here's what I want you to know. When it comes to women, we don't get it naturally, do we? Look at letter A on your outline for a moment. Immature men assume women see life the way they do. It's a common masculine mistake, but it's a, it's a major mistake. I remember right after I got married, at one of the first Christmases that Sherrod and I ever celebrated together, you know how you do Christmas, you open up the gifts, but you always save the best gift for last. And if you're a young married, you're kind of holding back with the gift that you think will really win. Well, right after we got married, that moment came. And I remember we opened the smaller gifts, and then the moment came where my wife handed me the gift. And I opened it up, and it was some fishing gear, cool stuff. Home run. Boy, I thanked her, gave her a big hug. Then I gave her my gift, the gift. It was just in an envelope. She opened it up. It was a 24-month membership to a women's gym. <laughs> oh, you guys mock me. I was waiting for the wow. But you know, there was no wow. In fact, I, as I saw her face fall, I realized I was light years from wow. And then when I saw tears in her eyes, I knew I was in trouble. But I'm going to tell you, at that moment, I thought, I don't get it. I love going to work out at the gym. Now, you know why I tell you that? That's how my 25-year-old mind worked at the time. And I'm only thankful that when you're young, there's plenty of elasticity for forgiveness. But you know, when you meet a man who 10, 15 years into marriage is still saying, I don't know what my wife wants from me. That's an immature man. He doesn't get it. He's usually making in that dead-end statement a statement about himself. And that is, he only knows one way. 
his way. And that doesn't work with a woman. That's just a mark of immaturity. Look at letter B. Real men, the kind who get it. No women don't see life the way they do. And they work. You can underline the word work. They work at recognizing and appreciating the differences. You know, that's not only the conclusion of marriage counselors and social scientists everywhere in the world today, but that wisdom has been around for thousands of years. In fact, I, wanna, I want you to look at the words of the Dr. Phil of the first century. His name was Peter. In a little letter that he wrote in the book of 1 Peter, here's what he said. Follow along as I read it. Husbands, live with your wives. This, this is a fisherman speaking, guys. But he, but he finally got it. Husbands, live with your wives. Here's the key line. In an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, not a man. See, that, I, don't, I almost want to put an exclamation point there. Since she is a woman, not a man, and grant her honor as an equal partner in the grace of life. That's an amazing statement for 2,000 years ago. Look at it for just a moment. Notice two things about that statement. Here's first. Peter's encouraging guys, you're going to have to get outside yourself if you're going to live with a woman. So for you guys who are dating a girlfriend, this principle still applies. Okay? Or you're married. An understanding way is the key. In other words, don't assume anything naturally. And why? Because she's a woman. She's not a man. She thinks different, feels different, acts different. Her world is different. And you're going to need all the outside helpful understanding you can amass if you want to live successfully and in, in an empowered and energized relationship with a woman. Because your first instinct is with her naturally is probably going to be wrong. Because she's a woman. And you need to live with her in an understanding way. Secondly, look at the verse again. It says, beware of taking advantage of her. Now where is that in the verse? It's in that little phrase, she's a weaker vessel. It means she's weaker physically. And guys, I don't know if you've heard this, but it gets shouted out by women in every age, in every place of the world. That in history... Immature men have used this weakness that she's weaker physically to intimidate, to dominate, to run over in order to get their way. Yeah, she's a weaker vessel. But let me tell you this. This is just man to man between you and me this morning. Raw power never makes a man a man with a woman. It never does. It makes him a coward who's afraid of growing up. That's what it makes him. The better way, the masculine way, is to live with a woman in an understanding way. Here are two timely insights we could kind of infer from 1 Peter 3.7. Here's the first. When it comes to a woman... What you don't know will always hurt you. <laughs> what you don't know will hurt you. And secondly, when it comes to a woman, men get down on 
what they're not up on. Some of the brightest, smartest, most talented men in the world have struck out in life because they refuse to heed that wisdom. Let me give you an example. It's an extreme example to make the point. It's from the life of a young man named Robert Howard. In many ways, Robert was a man who had it all. Some of you may have even known Robert. He was a great athlete, a two-time All-American at the University of Arkansas. He was a two-time Olympic track star in the triple jump. He had a great mind. He was about to finish medical school. He was married to a bright, intelligent young woman by the name of Robin, who at the time was in medical school as well in her residency. In fact, she was doing a chief residency in neurosurgery. You know, you would assume if you brought these two people together, Robert, this Olympian, Robin, this great resident in neurosurgery, a graduate of Harvard University, if you brought them together, you would assume that with all that talent and all that success and with all those brains, Robin and Robert's relationship with each other would naturally come off as successfully as their lives had individually. You would assume that. That's the key word. And you know what? I think they assumed it too. And that was their mistake. Because assuming anything with the opposite sex can be costly to you. Imagine the shock when one Saturday morning the police found Robert on the 10th floor of the medical school about to jump to his death, which he did. Imagine the shock when they went to Robert and Robin's home to inform Robin of Robert's death that they found Robin stabbed to death by Robert before he killed himself. But that's what they found. And with it, this note that said to her, I'm sorry, Robin, I did not respect your independence. I'm a man in fear of losing things. I miss you loving me, being excited about me. Why can't we love each other the way we both deserve to be loved? Great question. How do you answer that question after two unbelievably talented lives have been wasted? Here's the way I would have answered it. Robert, you could have. You could have loved her the way she deserved to be loved if you would have lived with her in an understanding way. But instead, you prove the principle that men get down on what they're not up on. Everybody understand that? Well, let's take a hard turn. Let's get up on women for a minute, shall we? Let's kind of educate ourselves this morning and have some fun doing it. Let me mention four things that every man should know about a woman. First, you need to know that there's a gender difference. I hope you know that. I know there's a lot of similarities between the sexes, but there are much more dissimilarities. Women are very different. They're wired differently. As a matter of fact, at a genetic level, neurobiologists claim that there are over 100 million differences between men and women. We mature differently. Girls who are at age 17 
function about at the level of a mature adult. Boys who are 17, well, <laughs> besides giving each other wedgies and watching Dumb and Dumber, they're thinking about it. <laughs> Our slant on life is different. Men are action-oriented. Women are relationship-oriented. You see that in every arena of life. Just the other night, when my wife and I were cheering my son playing football, it was just different. All of a sudden, I noticed how we were cheering differently. I'm cheering in a sense that I'm urging him on to perform better. Come on, Mason, hit the hole quicker. Make the cut faster. Hit harder. My wife is over there not cheering for any of those things. She's cheering in a totally different way, hoping Mason will hear her so he will feel better. <laughs> Despite his performance. And I don't get that. Because I'm action-oriented. And she doesn't get me. She said, you're going to hurt his feelings. But that's the way men and women are. Men and women's brains are different. Women's brains operate more holistically. You know, we have two hemispheres of the brain. And women's brains operate more globally with both hemispheres working together. And it's almost like a high-speed computer, guys. Women's brains physiologically work faster, honestly, than men's brains. And that's why women's brains are able to take in so many more things in one moment than men's. Men's brains operate more specifically, one hemisphere and then the other hemisphere. It kind of moves back and forth. And because of that, men tend to be able to focus on things more intensely. Because they can move between hemispheres, they can shut out distractions in a unique way. And sometimes we get criticized, don't we, for shutting out those distractions. Women's brains are kind of like radar. You know, they're just constantly surveying the landscape and picking up every little item that's out there. <laughs> Men's brains are more like a laser beam. You know, we get intense focus. We burn a hole right, right in one point, don't we? That's why when it comes to something, for instance, says intimate is lovemaking. A wife can be with you, enjoying you sexually, but her radar is up. <laughs> At the same time that that's going on, she's, she's thinking, did I pack little Timmy's lunch? <laughs> <laughs> Are the children asleep? Is the door locked? What's that noise in the backyard? Is that our dog barking? And she can do all of that while still maintaining the integrity of the moment. <laughs> and then at the most inopportune time in that moment, she can say to her husband, honey, did you hear that? <laughs> that's that radar that's up. But you know what? She's asking as a radar-oriented brain, she's asking that to a laser beam brain who at that moment has shut out every reality in the universe <laughs> except one. We know what that is, right? Men and women speak differently. They speak a gender-coded language. I picked this up in a magazine. It was so true. It said this. For instance, the word fine. This is the word women use at the end of an argument when they feel they are right but can't stand to hear you argue any longer. Fine means that a man should shut up. 
take the word five minutes. This is actually half an hour for a woman. It is the equivalent to five minutes that your football game is going to last before you take out the trash. So women feel that it's an even trade. How about the word nothing? Nothing means something to a woman, right? And you should, a man should be on his toes when his wife says nothing. Nothing is usually used to describe the feelings a woman has of wanting to turn you inside out, upside down, and backwards. Nothing usually signifies the start of an argument that will last five minutes and end with the word fine. <laughs> is that not true? Because of our orientation gender, we use coded language with one another. There's a gender difference. Secondly, there's a need difference. Now, if I were with you as a group of men, we were just talking about our needs, and I were to say to you, you know, one of the major needs of a man is sex. Would you say I was telling you the truth? Can I see any hands? Okay, I just want to know if you're here. Okay. Well, the reason I tell you that is when I tell women what their four needs are that I'm going to tell you in a moment, they have the same response as what I just saw from you. They go, yeah, those are my needs. Tell the guys that. Okay, so I'm going to tell you. Here are the four top needs of a woman. And when you speak to these needs, guys, when you get it, and measure your performance with your wife with these four, then you're going to start acting like a wise man. Here's, here they are. Here's the first. Security. Women have a deep need for security. It's a huge need to feel safe and protected. Now, guys, listen, especially in two areas. And this is going on in a woman's mind all the time. Here are the two areas. She needs to feel safe financially, and she needs to feel safe relationally. Those are the two areas. Let's speak first to finances. You know, with women working and some women earning more than their husbands, it's easy in the 21st century to think that uh, financial security is not a need of a woman. But even the woman who's out earning her husband, knowing her husband can take care of her and provide for her, is still one of her greatest needs. And men today, modern men, don't get that. And when a woman thinks that she's not safe financially with a man, it continually undercuts her feeling of security and her respect for her husband. A woman needs to know, a woman needs to know that her husband can take care of her financially in a way that says she doesn't have to work for them to survive. In a way that when the kids come along, she has the option of being freed up to be what instinctively most women want to be, and that is a mother. In a way that says when old age arrives, you figured out how we're going to be safe to finish those years together. When the things, when those things are not true, though, when a woman is feeling she's not safe with you financially, then what she will feel instead of a sense of pride in you is she will feel a sense of loss and anxiety and pain. She needs to feel secure there. Security also means that she needs to feel safe with you. 
And having just talked to some men this week about that, I can say this even stronger. Guys, listen, telling her the truth all the time is critical because it makes her feel safe. Honesty is absolutely critical in a relationship with a woman because the minute she finds you lying to her, doing something and hiding it behind her back, then here's the thing that's going to be in her mind for weeks, months, and sometimes years. If he's hiding this and lying to me here, how can I trust him in anything he says? Honesty is critical. Keeping your word makes her feel safe. Following through makes her feel safe. Reassuring her of your love on a daily basis makes her feel safe. I mean, if you really want to touch into her need, I found this true with my wife, then here's a little exercise that you can do with her. Just pull up alongside her one day and make her weak by just drawing her close, looking at her eyes, and saying what I said to my wife not long ago. Honey, I just want you to know, I love you, and I will never, ever leave you. You reaffirm your commitment at that moment before God and at the same time, you touch her at the core of this need for security. I'll never leave you. I'm committed in this. Security is one of the great needs to the well-being of a woman. A second one is what I call conversational companionship. And the reason I say that is because through conversation, a woman experiences the life of the man she loves and he gets to experience hers. And that's a deep need for women. Conversation is what a woman often gets from us before marriage. In fact, if you're in an intense dating relationship, you're probably spending a lot of time just interacting, doing fun things together, and talking. Maybe you're not even aware of how much you're sharing, but she's drinking it in and she loves it because she experiences your life with hers. And that's what women deeply need. It's that kind of conversation that she just drinks in. But it's also that kind of conversation where she deeply connected with you that disappears oftentimes quickly after marriage. When the pace of life and crowded schedules and a pressing career and then kids dries up, that kind of conversation. That's why researchers who probe into marriage always find women offering this complaint. In fact, it's the number one complaint in marriage. You'll know what it is from women. My husband won't talk to me. Now you go, I am talking to her. Yeah, you're talking to her about superficial things. But what a woman really wants is the kind of conversation that builds companionship and connection between your life and her life in a way where she feels like she's current with your world. And you're current with her world. It's that kind of conversation. And when that kind of conversation dwindles in a woman's life, so do her feelings of love for her man. They go hand in hand. I've had two successes over the years, 33 years of marriage. Here would be my two successes in this area. And I'd share them with you. And I have done this in other men's fraternities. Here's the first. One, you need to date your wife weekly. And when I mean, what, what I mean by that is a time where you're getting away, even if you have young kids, just a little getaway at night where you go out for a couple hours and just sit and talk 
about what's going on in your worlds, where you unwind life together, and where, guys, you take a moment, you've got this focused time, because you're good at focusing, you've got this focused time where you share your heart, share your feelings, tell your wife a little about what you're dreaming about for you personally and for the family and what you're thinking, what you're enjoying, because in those moments you rediscover one another just for a little island moment, but that connects enough to bridge your life to the next island later on the next week. So I'd say date your wife weekly. We've done that. It's been an unbelievable impact in our marriage. Secondly, I would encourage you to take at least three mini two to three day getaways. Just where you go away, just you and her, not anything expensive, just an overnighter somewhere, but just in driving to that overnighter and driving back, you can problem solve, you can plan when you're there, you can play, you can enjoy one another like honeymooners again, but it becomes a refreshment, an oasis in the midst of frenzy. But here's what I'm going to tell you. You avoid those oases and just let life, just like a raging current, keep carrying you downstream. And I can promise you, you're going to look up one day and she's not going to know you and you're not going to know her. And for a woman, that equals the loss of love for you. Because conversation and the feelings of love go hand in hand. She needs a conversational companion to stay in touch and stay in love with. A third great need of a woman is significance. Significance. Let me give you some other words other than the word significant. It could be the word valued, important, appreciated, highly esteemed. It's not so much significance in the world's eyes that a woman craves. It's in your eyes as a man. Let me go back to 1 Peter for just a moment. Look at 1 Peter. Here's what it says. It says, husbands, and look at the last line, grant your wives honor as an equal partner in the grace of life. You see it there? A paraphrase could be this. Make her feel significant, like she's equal to you. And that's what it's saying. You can do that in all kinds of ways. You can do that in little words of praise along the way of a week. You know, where you compliment her character or compliment the way she does things, who she is. Tell her, that, tell her that coming home to her is the best part of the day. Just a little thing like that makes her feel significant. You can do that with surprise gifts, big or little, a little note that you left her on her dresser. You can do that with including her in big decisions about your life, maybe even at work where you value her opinion. What do you think, honey, I should do? And in doing that and in including her, it makes her feel significant. And a woman needs to feel significant with a man. The one thing a man must be on guard against over time, and it's a mistake a lot of us make, guys, is beginning to take our wives for granted. We start using them, presuming upon them, overlooking the zillion little things that a wife does that makes life better for us, that no one notices but you and will give her credit for. But you can just assume that's what she's supposed to do and just take those things for granted. It's forgetting special days like birthdays and anniversaries or acting like it's a pain to honor her over those things. Feeling it's more of a duty 
than a masculine adventure to breathe life into her soul because she wants that as much as anything else? And you hold the keys to making her feel significant. A man who makes his woman feel honored and esteemed, he's speaking right down at the core. And women for generations saying, am I important? And the answer that they want to hear is not from the world. They want to hear it from their man in a way that he's doing it passionately from the gut, not because it's something he's got to check off his to-do list. And then fourthly, a woman needs affection. And by affection, I don't mean sex, unfortunately. Uh, for a woman, it's different. In some, in some ways, a little more challenging. Maybe a better word for affection, you might just write down the word treasuring. Treasuring. Research tells us that affection is the number one need women say they have in a marriage. It's the need for affection. Displays of affection that communicate to her that she's important and that you really care for her. And how do you do that? Well, you do it in a variety of ways. But let me just give you a little checklist that just begin to give you some ideas in that regard. One way would be with hugs. Hugs. Now, you say, that's a little thing. Yeah, it is a little thing. But have you noticed how women love to hug one another? You know what they're doing? They're giving one another what they want. Just like we're oriented to want to give things that we want to other people rather than understand what they need. They hug each other. But you know what? Because of that, that's an intro to what they need. They need a hug, and they love hugs from you. Just a little display of affection. They love for you to look in their eyes in the morning before you leave for work and say, I love you. They love little notes of affirmation. The smallest of things mean the biggest of things to a woman. When you leave her a little note in a surprise place, it says, you're special to me. Or you call her in the middle of the day and just say, I've been thinking of you. I called my wife yesterday and asked her out for lunch. And she said, really? You want to go out for lunch? It's like it was a surprise to her. But you could hear in her voice kind of, you want to go out lunch with me? Oh, yeah. Sending her flowers, kissing her before you go to work, complimenting her on her work. Whether she has a career around the house, just picking up little things, saying, you know, you're really good at that. Praising her character. You know, honey, you're one of the kindest people that I've ever seen. You're really a kind person. Going shopping with her. You'll hate it. She'll know you hate it. But she'll love you even the more for it. Praising her before friends and especially before the kids. You want to make her day, just stop for a moment and say, kids, I want to tell you something about your mom. Just praising her publicly like that is an unbelievable display of affection. Surprising her at least once a year with something way out of the ordinary. It's an anniversary. And rather than handing her a card, you read her a poem that you wrote. It's her birthday. And rather than just taking her out like you've done the last 20 years for a meal, all of a sudden she walks in, there are friends all over the house, family you've flown in, and it's a big party. Taking her on some surprise vacation. She wasn't even prepared for it. She came home, the bags were already packed, and he said, honey, we're heading to X. She can't believe it. See, once a year, doing something way out of the ordinary that is a display of affection that tells her how important she is to you. Those are the top four needs of every woman, I think, on the planet. 
Now, they get expressed in different ways, but the point I want you to know is you look at those, significant security, maybe you personally don't connect with those. That's because you're a man. But you've got to get out of the man orientation in dealing with a woman. You've got to get into her world. She's your chief customer. And realize this is what she needs from you. And if you get it, and unfortunately some guys never seem to get it when it comes to the needs of a woman. What you'll do is you'll constantly use these four needs to measure, both in the good times and the not so good times, how you're doing with this woman. You can just go down the checklist. Am I making her feel secure? Am I making her feel significant? Have we spent some time talking together about our real worlds deeply? Have I showed her some display of affection recently? If you go down that checklist and everything's measuring up, all lights are green, you're doing good. If you go down through those, even as I've talked, and there's some big red lights there, I'm telling you, you're undercutting her sense of self-worth and her love for you. You get it? Then there's the scoring difference between men and women. Men and women score the relationship differently. I love what John Gray did in his book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are For Venus. He made the scoring difference real popular. But here's the scoring difference in a nutshell. Men score their relationship with a woman on the basis of size. The bigger the acts of love, the better and more points a man will award to a woman when she loves him that way. Women, on the other hand, score their relationship with a man on just simply the basis of love regardless of the size of the love. In other words, all acts of love for a woman are equal. So here's how... It works with a man naturally. He thinks that if he takes out the trash, which is a small thing, he'll get one point. On the other hand, if he takes her to a nice restaurant that night, he'll get 10 points. If he takes her on a nice getaway, he'll get 100 points. That's how men naturally think. And using that scoring system, a lot of guys will work hard and try to buy their wives' love off with a few big gifts while ignoring all the little things because that's how they score life. And guys, write it down. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's not how women will score life. Here's the way they'll score it because they score all gifts of love the same, whether it's small, medium, or large. You take out the trash, you get trash, you get one point. You take her out to dinner, you get one point. You take her to Hawaii, you get one point. Now, that seems totally alien to a man, right? Doesn't make any sense at all, but that's how a woman thinks. And in marriage, I think guys oftentimes are shocked when I tell them that when they work a 50, 60, 70-hour-a-week job, you know, busting it to provide for a home and for college and for the kids and for nice things for her, they think they're getting hundreds of points. And they're just amazed when I tell them, no, you get one point. And for that kiss you gave your wife going out the door to that 50, 60, and 70-hour-a-week job, you also got one point. That's amazing, isn't it? Okay, now I'm going to give you a quiz here just to see if you're understanding what I'm saying, okay? Okay, here's the quiz. Your wife cooks dinner. It's your favorite dinner. How many points do you give her? 10 points? 15 points? Okay. You get lost driving. And your wife's sitting next to you, but on this occasion, rather than blaming you, she says, 
Honey, we would have never seen this beautiful sunset if you had taken the direct route. Okay, how many points do you give her? Yeah, 25, 50, something like that. Okay, you come home on a Friday and your wife says, sweetie, I took the kids to mother's and I went out and I bought some scented massage lotion and this nice nighty just for you. How many points do you give her? Yeah, a thousand points. That's right. That was so quick. You got it. That's how men score. But how many points for the following for you? You say to your wife, I love you before you leave for work. How many points? One point. You give your wife $300 one Saturday morning to go shopping, and when you tell her, when you come home, I'll have the house cleaned. How many points do you get? One. You tell her you're taking her to a month. You're taking her to a castle in Europe for one month. How many points? One. Hurts, doesn't it? You guys are in pain, even as I tell you that. But you got it. And wise is the man who doesn't forget it because that's how he fills his wife's love bank. Which brings me to the last thing, the personality difference. <laughs> Guys, we're all different personality-wise. Every one of us. Personality is a lifelong imprint that's not going to change in you or your woman because it's given by God. And here's the question I would ask you as I finish. Do you know your wife's or girlfriend's personality? Have you come to terms with this is a personality that's going to be here forever? Can you name that personality? Do you know what the strengths of that personality are? Are you sensitive to what maybe the weaknesses of that personality are? That's what we're going to do. Not today, but next week. And to help me help you, I want you to look at uh, point five on your outline. It's what I call the first of a series of die-to-live application projects. So pull it out. Look at that down at the bottom. And what you're going to find is, and this is going to be a project for you to do this week. And remember, we're kind of, this is a workstation that we're going to be a part of. I want you to look at the two personality tests that I've attached to your outline. You see it there? You probably looked at it when you came in this morning. These are just two simple, and this is what I like about them. They're real simple, guys. General personality tests. There are two of them, and here's why. There's one for you to take, and then there's also one for your girlfriend or your wife to take. And all it is is on the side that says your personality, you just take each line and you just check one thing that describes you of the four options that are given there. And you just go down. This will take maybe 15 minutes, maybe 20 at the most. You just go down and check one on each line. And then when you finish, you turn it over and it says personality test scoring. You take each of the scoring that you did on the front page and you assign it to its place on the back page. Now, it's the, the, the descriptives of you on the front page are rearranged on the back page. So you need to be careful when you go about scoring. But they're there. And when you do... You'll total them up, and you'll have some totals at the bottom, and one will probably have more than the other three. And you go, well, what does that mean? You don't need to worry about that. That's what we're going to talk about next week. All I want you to do is take the little personality test, and I want you to give it and take it with your girlfriend or your wife. Now you go, well, how do I do all that? You've got a die-to-live project there for me. How do I do that? Well, let me give some recommendations of how you do it, and then we'll be finished. 
I want you to take your wife or your girlfriend out on a date. But when you go, you need to find a quiet place. That's going to be key. Just find a quiet place. Take her out to dinner or for coffee or whatever. And when you sit down, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to share the four needs I shared with you today. Just say, I want to tell you what I'm learning in men's fraternity. And so just go down, just list the four needs, and it'll give you a chance to review them and kind of think about them. And then ask her this question, are those your four top needs? Because I want you to confirm it, not just accept it from me. I want you to confirm it. Say, do you have that need? And is security financially and relationally with me, is that a need you have? Is significance a need, affection, conversational companionship? And ask her, and then whatever she says, don't react, just listen, just interact with her, ask her some clarifying questions. Why is that so important to you? Uh, where have I done well in that? Where have I not done so well? You're just trying to get a, 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 an interview here to understand her world. You want to feel her world. And then when you finish with a little dialogue there, then you want to ask her, honey, if I were to ask you what your number one need is in our relationship, what is it? And let her tell you. And then ask her specifically, how do I best or how can I best meet that need? You know what you're doing? You're getting it. That's what you're doing. And then when you finish, you say, hey, one of my projects for next week, and I'll share the results later, is taking this personality test. Would you take this with me? And let her take just a few minutes and just check off the little descriptives of her and total it, and you do it, and that's what you're going to bring back next week. And let me tell you what's going to happen. One, she's going to appreciate that you took her out on a date. Two, that you had a substantive conversation about her world. She's going to go, man, that's good stuff they're learning at men's fraternity. Third, she's going to be impressed that you're even becoming a psychologist. You're giving her a personality test, and she's going to learn the results later on, which we're going to discuss next week. All of that you did, she is going to be so impressed. And how many points are you going to get for it, guys? <laughs> One point. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's message. It really helps us when you rate and review this podcast. If you found today's teaching helpful, take time to do that today. This podcast was produced by the team at Sound of a Rose. Visit soundofarose.com for any of your podcasting needs.